I know, I know. We're at the Empty Nest episode of season three, but please stay with us because we know he isn't terrific, but we think we are. So hang on as tight as a leotard as we venture into the darkest depths of the Golden Girls with Mr. Terrific. We'll see Blanche in a tizzy about a bed, Dorothy awkwardly judging and hosting a kiddie show, and Rose falling for a man and off of a ledge. So let's get to ripping it apart already with today's episode, Mr. Terrific. Thank you for the friendship. We've come so far and traveled wide. You're my best friends. I could never lie. I love when we party, dance and sing, and laugh just doing our thing. No matter the misters that come and go. If you hate watching it, imagine how I feel, researching the actors, reading the transcript, watching it and writing for three hours, then doing all of this recording and editing. Please send your condolences. Now, it's well known that Mr. Terrific is one of the least liked episodes following closely behind Empty Nest. So I actually reached out to the Facebook group, Cuter Than an Interuterine, to find out what it is about this episode that causes so much disdain. I mean, disdain. Overall, the biggest complaints were Mr. Terrific's yelling, acting, outfit, pepperoni stick outline, nasty behavior towards Rose, and overall boringness. Of course, there were many, many, many more opinions, and some of them I'd like to share. Another big complaint was the writing, from being boring to ridiculous to just out of character for everyone. Well, two things were pointed out that might make this episode make more sense. One fan shared that he had watched a Johnny Carson on which Betty made an appearance. They claimed she said Mr. Terrific was based off of the Lone Ranger actor Clayton Moore. Apparently, the guy kind of became the Lone Ranger, even when he was no longer portraying him. This included basically living in the costume, including the cape, and he attempted to save the day when he could. This had been witnessed, apparently, by actor and comedian Jay Thomas, who would go on to tell the story on David Letterman's Christmas show for several years. So this was way back in the day, I think in the 70s, and Jay was getting stoned with a co-worker, and it was his job to take the Lone Ranger, Clayton Moore, to different car dealerships for, like, grand opening events. And they got stuck driving him, and as they took him to one of the locations, they were hit by a car, and the car then sped off. They were able to catch up to him, and then this happened. I said, yes, you did. He says, well, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to call the cops. He says, oh, really? Well, who do you think they're going to believe? You two hippie freaks are me. And the Lone Ranger gets out of the back of my car. (laughs) (laughs) I swear to God, he goes like this. They'll believe me, citizen. So that seems like a pretty big piece of the puzzle, that Mr. T was written specifically after that guy mocking his obsession. Another idea was that the episode was written as an anti-love letter to the industry. Inept stage managers, irritable talent, fame-hungry supporting acts. It seems as though someone had just had it and needed to vent. Now, the writers listed are the usual ones of the series, Terry Grossman, Kathy Spear, But this episode was recorded right around the time the 1988 writer's strike began. Not having the exact dates and details, I can't say if, by the time they were filming, that they had to use scabs for corrections, or if it was just so late in the season the girls got by unaffected. Other complaints included, but aren't limited to, Mr. T being a narcissist, how lightly an apparent suicide attempt is being treated, especially by Rose, the grief counselor, how childish Rose's idolization seems, especially when she refers to him as honey, and how rude he is in general. There are many issues specific to Mr. Terrific. 
someone saying that he has, quote, a face that I could never get sick of punching. Some appreciated that his suit didn't show anything, others are bothered by the codpiece, and some claim to see the whole shebang. So I guess you see what you want, huh? I saw some lumps down there. <laughs> Above the cowboy boots, below the lowercase t, <laughs> it I was, saw some lumps. It was lumps. lumpy. I hey, saw a very specific shape, We I think. all see what we want to see. His whiny behavior and overall goofy nature is so anti-superhero that it cancels out whatever it is he's trying to do. There is also the fact that his lame costume has a lowercase t, which does kind of explain everything. Oh, and let's not forget the red cowboy boots. Coco's favorite aspect, I think. I also saw some lumps down there. (laughs) (laughs) But Uh. those could also be his suit because he has like that gold one piece that's the pants and the t-shirt. And then the leotard is over that. So it's like how much of that is just bunching of that fabric. The red cowboy boots were (laughs) a miscalculation. Yeah. They make him look really it's it adds a level of bizarreness. Is that a word? Bizarrity? Bizarrity, yes. <laughs> to his costume. Why wouldn't you just do was it too predictable to do the wrestler boots that all the superheroes have? Are they just trying to show how like local he is? But he's been at it over twenty years. He has a budget. Maybe? Who knows? And his face, no offense, is ghoulish. Yeah. It's it's not a, a kid show face. Or voice or toed. No. He looks like he should be on and sounds like he should be on The Sopranos or something. Gabagool. <laughs> then there are those who don't mind and some even enjoy the episode, which is great. We all have moments of bad taste, sweetie. Another issue people mentioned was just the sheer number of times the word terrific is used in the script. And in total, I believe I got them all. The terrific count comes to 40. Now, I'm sure I missed one or two, but there's probably something to that making the episode even more unenjoyable. I'm not great at math, but I think that works out to be one utterance of terrific every 36 seconds. And that ratio is far too high. How many times do you say terrific? In this script. Oh, I didn't go through it. Well, here's what I'll do. I'll do find right Mm -hmm. now. Oh, my gosh. I have one more than the show. I have 41. So get ready to be annoyed. Although I don't refer to him as Mr. Terrific for the most part. I call him Mr. T because I got sick of referencing him. My pity the fool. As has been the theme this season, we're starting out in the kitchen with Sophia in a checkered, multicolored dress and yellow cardigan at the stove, scooping herself a plate of some probably very delicious fresh Italian food. Coming in from that cursed guest room door is Dorothy, who excitedly tells her mother that her interviews for summer jobs went swimmingly. Well, she actually uses terrific, and she scored 100%. Three interviews, three offers. Sophia doesn't credit her daughter's skills, abilities, or charm, but insists that she only got those job offers because she took Sophia's advice of showing more leg. Not sure how much she wasn't showing, as Dorothy is wearing khaki pants and a long yellow blouse that lands mid-thigh, covered with an olive green, shimmery, equally long jacket. So I don't think the leg thing was it. And Dorothy doesn't think her outfit had anything to do with the women that offered her work. But, oh boy, Sophia begs to differ, pointing out that 80% of the actresses on her soaps are bisexual. She, however, uses the antiquated term switch hitter, which implies that someone who identifies as bisexual is more or less indecisive or they can just choose their sexual orientation. I don't have the exact numbers, but there was definitely more queer representation in soaps in the 80s than previous years, but I doubt they were the most tasteful. And besides, Sophia wasn't even talking about the actresses when they're acting. She was talking about them in their daily lives because she learned it all from the very reliable tabloid, The Inquirer. Wearing one of her least flattering outfits of heavy gray layers and a gray sweater with one shoulder adorned with a silky purple scarf with random gold patterns is Blanche. Sophia is horrified to hear that Blanche is exhausted from a day of bed hopping, showing concern for Blanche's health and safety at the height of the AIDS epidemic. That's nice and all, I guess, but she wasn't sleeping around. She was bed shopping. Really, she swears. 
Before Sophia can make a remark about Blanche's bed needing replacement due to mileage, Dorothy shoves a cracker in her mouth. I'm going to have to rule on that one and say cookie. Oh, yeah. I thought I saw a cookie. It was huge. Yeah, I guess it was pretty thick. It filled her entire tiny mouth. (laughs) Well, that's a great segue. Would you like to talk about the cookies on the counter? Oh, my God. Yeah, there was a jar full of cookies that looked like they were from the Mother's Brand Cookie Parade. Which which I feel we have discussed before. The greatest cookie assortment (laughs) that doesn't exist anymore. It was Frosted Animal Cookies, Little Chocolate Chip Cookies. I think it had like a a chocolate sandwich cookie. And then I think like a, a sort of like a shortbread cookie. And that could have been what Dorothy used. But those were huge. <laughs> that one was huge, and these were little babies. Sophia's really little, though. That's also true. <laughs> I'm sorry about, what's it called? Cookie Parade? Yeah, Cookie Parade. It went, they, um, I think the mother's company went out of business, and then it was purchased by someone else, so they brought some of their things back, so we still have oh. the beautiful frosted animal cookies. But the Cookie Parade is no more. Rips to the Cookie Parade. Also, they do still make all of the components for Cookie Parade, so we could make a Cookie Parade at home. I like to waste plastic, so that's a good idea. They're not individually wrapped. It's just the packages. I individually wrap them when I get them home. (laughs) (laughs) I plastic seal everything I eat, actually. Laminate all my napkins. (laughs) The biggest issue Blanche has encountered is the cost. For the same money she spent on the down payment of her first house, she can get a new bed. This reminds Sophia of how dirt cheap beds were back in Sicily. And that's because they were made of dirt. So I guess you get what you pay for. Her joke barely gets a laugh from the audience and a nasty look from Dorothy. Frustrated, she says that if she were Mark Twain, they'd be cherishing everything she said. Like how he wrote, by land, they're not making it anymore. Scurrying in from the same back door is an adorably dressed Rose in a teal dress and pink cardigan with matching teal diamonds. She cannot wait to tell the girls that she met Mr. Terrific at the mall. Not being so much a party pooper as a realistic pooper, Blanche warns her to not get too excited. There might be a Mrs. Terrific. But it wasn't that Rose met a great guy. She met the literal Mr. Terrific, the star of his own children's show, Mr. Terrific and he was doing an autograph session outside the abandoned storefront for Jack Kemp's presidential campaign at the mall. Jack Kemp was first known as a football player before his nine terms as a member of the House of Representatives. This led to him serving as the housing secretary in George H.W. Bush's cabinet, followed by a run as vice president to Bob Dole's campaign. As president, you can count on Jack Kemp to say no to higher taxes. Jack Kemp. If he wins, we all win. Even though his name is Mr. Terrific, the girls are surprised to see, when looking at the signed photo, that the man is masked and in a caped costume. Blanche even getting a flashback to a caped sexual crusade she went on with a local insurance salesman, Greg Herskowitz. Fun fact, there is a lawyer in Miami that has the same name. Explaining to the girls who the man is, Rose slips into some super fan territory, giving the schedule and time slot for his clubhouse show. And if she's a fan, she's committed to a lot of viewing time. His show airs every afternoon and for a full hour on Saturdays. Sorry to spoil, but perhaps that work schedule is part of his, shall we say, unraveling. It's also a local show, so even if he's been on the air 20, 30, or even 40 years, she still would have been too old to care about his show by the time she moved to Miami. To answer Sophia's question, yes, Mr. Terrific has a kitty show, but he isn't a clown like the world's most famous, Bozo, who started his show all the way back in 1946 before getting spinoffs to local markets where different folks played different versions of him. Bozo, Bozo, always last, never frown. Bozo, Bozo, Bozo the Clown. Oh, Billy, I'm glad you made it here to the Bozo Big Top today. Look at my pants. And Alan Livingston was an American businessman, and he worked at Capitol Records, and he was the writer, producer. Oh, he created Bozo the Clown. I don't think he played him. We gotta get, we gotta get to the bottom of this Bozo business. <laughs> 
His name is Lawrence Weiss, but he goes by the name Larry Harmon, and he was the original Bozo the Clown. He got the gig because he went to a casting call. Bozo fun fact. <laughs> so he <laughs> he got hired as Bozo. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> He got hired as Bozo in the 1940s, and then in 57, he purchased the licensing rights. So. Sneaky clown. There you go. <laughs> he her. Reading over the autograph, Blanche realizes it's more of a love letter than signature. That's when Rose drops her other exciting news. Mr. Terrific asked her out. Oddly, Dorothy, who has picked up men at the grocery store, is super judgmental about Rose's decision to go out with this stranger. But he's no stranger to Rose. It isn't just that she spends every afternoon and an hour on Saturday with him, but since she was pretty much the only one there to talk to him, because everyone else was in awe watching the Charmin spokesperson, Mr. Whipple, demonstrate the newest in toilet paper technology, the two were able to chat for over an hour. What the hell was she supposed to be doing this day? I guess it's a Sunday since she's not at work and he's not hosting his show as he does every afternoon and for an hour on Saturday. The world may never know. Giddy as a school-aged girl that would be the demographic for Mr. Terrific's show, Rose leaves to go get ready. Dorothy doesn't waste any time to start expressing her judgment disguised as concern. Rose doesn't know this masked, caped costume man that she met at a mall and now they're going on a date? Blanche finds it a little odd, too. How could she have agreed to go out without even knowing what kind of car he drives? It's in the future. Sophia is knitting and sitting on the couch in her cream pants, light pastel checkered blouse, and yellow cardigan. Coming home from hopefully something fancy, Blanche in her shimmery white dress and silver gray jacket is hoping to hear good news from Sophia that the bed she purchased finally arrived. Indeed, it has, and the delivery personnel were in the house putting it together for hours. She must have bought some bed. Well, I guess this is pre-IKEA days, so you did have to build a real thing with real materials and real tools. But hearing that the bed was difficult to assemble and is made of brass has Blanche surprised. Then she realizes the store delivered the wrong bed. Coco, what would you do in that situation? It really depends on the store that I bought it from. If it was some big conglomerate, yeah, corporate thing, I would absolutely keep it. And if it was like a a, a local place, a small business, mm -hmm. I would I would tell them because it makes a huge difference between those two. Mm -hmm. For the corporation, it's not even a drop in the bucket. Yeah, they won't care. And no. Yeah, I think it's very different. Also, because it's so cumbersome, it's and you you've slept on it. It's not like, oh, I accidentally, you didn't charge me for this thing at the grocery store. It's like a big deal. But yeah, I agree. And maybe you could call and make a plan with the mom and pop store to be like, I did want this bed. I just couldn't afford it. And now it's here. Can I make payments? But yeah, it's Neiman Marcus. So I'm with oh, Sophia right. that it is Merry Christmas from Neiman Marcus. They will not care. You think they're going to send out workers to undo the bed? and build the other one, the amount of time that that would take and that they would have to pay would cancel out getting the bed back. And then they would have to sell it as used. So she has nothing to worry about, in my opinion. I'll second that. And I'm pissed. <laughs> 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 no, I really think that it could have been the, the main plot of the, of the story or an episode. Because it was fun. It's funny what happens. Are we are we there yet? I think, yeah. More time with the bed would have been great, just in the fact that we would have had less time with Mister Terrific. So that, in and of itself, that's true. They could have shown makes it positive. They could have cut to like footage of a surgery or something, and that would have been cool. <laughs> Far more terrific. Had you seen this episode? I'd only seen the end of it. I think like last year. It yeah, because I forced you to see the to just see best. how bad it was. Yeah, because you're such a fan of stunt guys. I wanted you to see how bad the stunt was. And boy. <laughs> but other than that, you hadn't seen the episode. No, I had no idea its legacy or the impact that it would have on me. <laughs> it's still having. Uh. <laughs> Coming out from her room and attempting to get her outfit approved by Blanche, Rose, in her Monet-inspired skirt and peplum blouse, she's nearly run over as Blanche makes her way to inspect the new bed. When Rose asks what the rush was about, Sophia asks if Rose saw that huge thing in the bedroom. Rose hadn't peeked, but 
did think that Blanche wasn't seeing a mysterious Roger anymore. Is Roger a big man like a football player or Mr. October? Also, we had a Roger last week in Mixed Blessings when that was the name that Dorothy wanted for the grandchild. So I think someone on the writing team was dating a Roger. (laughs) That's my theory. I second that. And I'm ticked. I'm pissed. (laughs) (laughs) Settling for Sophia's opinion, the outfit is approved, and she assumes Rose has another date with that marvelous man. In Rose's, shall we say, extra special state of this episode, she equates Sophia mixing up Mr. T's name to her not having read comics when she was a kid, as if he had been in one or something. What? Or shall I say... What? What? But she's wrong. Sophia did read one comic, inspired by Robin Hood, Benito the Hood, stole from the rich and poor, and, well, everyone in between. Without redistributing it, he just hoarded it all. We could make a comic about that now and call it Bezos instead of Benito. Get it? Because he's a thief. And a madman. (laughs) He's dangerous. After checking the bed and paperwork, Blanche has figured out that the wrong bed was brought to her. While at the store, she had fallen in love with the big brass bed, but it was out of her budget. Looking at the numbers to share with the girls just how hefty the price tag was, she then realizes the company not only delivered the wrong bed, but charged her for the wrong one as well, the cost on the invoice being that of the smaller, less gaudy bed she had settled for. With a smile, she's realized the high-end department store where she did her shopping, Neiman Marcus, had a bit of a whoopsie. Sophia playing the angel of Christmas mix-up on Blanche's right shoulder, Rose playing the angel of do the right thing on her left. Hearing Blanche is basically ripping off the store, Rose is certain that Blanche won't keep the bed. While Blanche justifies it by saying they're the ones who messed it up and put it in her room, besides, who's gonna know? Who's going to know what your bed looks like? Well, Sophia answers by saying only all of the batters, catchers, and pitchers on the New York Yankees. I don't know how baseball works, but with 44 players on the team, I'd assume that's at least half. With a sassy smile, Blanche purses her lips at Sophia, but she knows it's true. It's time for Rose's date because the doorbell has rung. On the other side of the door is a man, not in a cape, but in a nice going-out-to-dinner business casual outfit. We don't get to learn his real name. Rose simply introduces him via his very lame tagline, Look, everyone, it's Mr. Terrific. And look, everyone, it's Bob Dishy, the man playing Mr. Terrific. Bob didn't have the biggest career, but he has had steady work, appearing in Mozart in the Jungle, Blue Bloods, Law & Order SVU, Along Came Polly, Law & Order Original Recipe, Frasier, Jungle to Jungle, Don Juan DeMarco, Matlock, My Boyfriend's Back, Barney Miller, Columbo, Love American Style, Mary Tyler Moore, and the TV movie of Arsenic and Old Lace. He even did some singing back in the day. I'll protect you with my superhuman strength. If you're ever attacked, I'll scream and yell boo. And everything I've got belongs to you. He's not quite doing his whole scream every line thing just yet, but there's definitely a TV superhero tone to it. Sophia is still hung up on the crappy tagline, leading to Mr. T realizing she must be Sophia. And she doesn't have to like it, but it's kept him working for 22 years. After Blanche introduces herself, he asks if she, a grown woman, watches the show. Joking that she doesn't have to because she doesn't need lessons on how to brush her teeth, Mr. Creep, I mean T, is delighted to hear that. He doesn't want the cavity cops to get her. Now, here's the thing about Blanche and or Rose watching this show. There's nothing wrong with watching what you like. It doesn't harm anyone and it brings you joy. Heck, I have a large tattoo on my arm that is partially inspired by the cartoon Gravity Falls. I get it. But when it's a show for kids about the basics of, like, being a human, it does seem a bit too juvenile. And the way he takes the Cavity Cops thing seriously, offstage, is giving some real coercive controlling and or serial killer vibes. Coming home in tan pants, a white blouse covered by a purple jacket with paint strokes of white and matching tan is Dorothy, 
Meeting Mr. T, she introduces herself as Mrs. Depressed. Fun! Who is she? Me? (laughs) Out of all of the job options she was given, she chose to go with the one at a summer camp. After getting her assignment, the English teacher is bummed to learn she'll be in charge of running arts and crafts, not her forte. When Rose fills T in on Dorothy's whole deal, he's delighted to hear that she works in education. They've been looking for someone to help out on the show. If she's into the idea, he can talk to his team. Dorothy is really one to have judged Rose about dating the guy after a short talk. She's down to clown around with her career after literally only saying hello. It's here we get our first glimpse of, this guy might suck, when he shoots down her excitement about the idea because the only cool job at the show is being him, the host. Fun guy. You're a dirtbag! Welp, Rose and real name unknown are leaving for their date. Dorothy continues to express her gratitude towards him, saying how terrific it would be. But after they leave, Sophia warns her not to get too excited about anything in the world of television. Sophia had been duped by television personality and first host of the Today Show, Dave Garraway, who promised Sophia a spot on the show. But she lost out to a chimp. When the Today Show got started, the ratings weren't great. So they did the most 1950s thing possible. They brought in a chimpanzee named J. Fred Muggs. Not only was he the mascot, he appeared on screen for segments. Ratings recovered, and eventually he became a star in his own right. So yeah, if you're a fan of the Today Show, you have a chimp to thank for its existence. Coco, you're a big fan of the whole J. Fred Muggs story. How could one not be? (laughs) I've never seen any video footage of Mr. Muggs Mm -hmm. hosting the show. Or whatever he did. Have you seen that? What, I've seen blips of it, yeah. What level of interactivity is he doing? Is he he's fielding like, questions? <laughs> or asking No, them? he's kind of like just sitting there or like being held. He's just a he's just a monkey. He's just a chimp on set. Did he wear a tie? I think he did. Hold on, let me see. Terrif- oh, terrific. Ah Tyrific. Bow tyrific. Yeah, so he had like polo shirts. Cute. It's actually a good thing to bring up now because of the movie Nope. Yeah, it does make me think of that. Yes. So he first appeared on the show in February of 1953. Didn't your mom own a monkey? Yeah. She had a little one, a little Betsy from Outbreak. Uh, Was that in like the 60s? Yeah. Different time, huh? She also had an alligator and, oh gosh, what else? Literally because her brothers were older and they traveled either for the military or personal and they're like hey i brought this home for you how did it get how did it survive i it was just a little tenacious little alligator i think that like someone went to florida or something for holiday oh of course yeah and and they were just probably selling them at the airport they're crazy (laughs) so he was on the show from 1953 to 1957 so he was born in french cameroon which is cameroon as we know it now brought to New York City before he was even a year old, and then two NBC pages purchased him. And I don't know, maybe they had a bring your monkey to work day or something, and they're like, we have this guy. And they're like, put him on the Today Show. He's good on camera. You know, he's still alive. J. Fred Muggs? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, he's retired, but... How old is he? He's got to be 80 Oh, my God. God. I think he's in like a he's in some sort of sanctuary or something. Oh, so he was like a he was a a young chimp when he was on the Today Show. Yes, like like a baby, like yes. a one year old. Wow. Yeah. Well, oh, so he's living at Citrus Park, Florida. Oh my God, I cannot believe he's still alive. That's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, I hope he's. I mean, he's in a sanctuary. He's probably pretty nice. Yeah. Good for good for mugs. Good for Jay Fred. TV legend. Yeah, forgotten TV, uncelebrated. Wow. <laughs> That's one hell of a... And forced. Well, Let's not I, forget that. And I would that. like to also say I know the difference between a, a, a monkey and a chimpanzee. I know. Yeah, it's just easier to just say monkey. Just easier to say monkey. Sorry, guys. We know. Chimp. <laughs> Ooh, ah, 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 ah. <laughs> you got your own desk. Now go away. Well, that novel experiment... <laughs> That's why they kept telling them down to the office. <laughs> The show has been divided lately into two factions in our meetings in the morning. One faction says the idea is just to give him his own desk and he won't tear Jack's apart any longer. And the other faction says, no, it's not that. 
There's a mysterious psychic influence that Jack's desk has on him. No matter what you do, he'll always attack Jack's desk. Well, the psychic boys are in the seats very firmly this morning. One of these days, I'm going to fight fire with fire, you know. Well, we are finally on the set of Mr. T's show, which airs every afternoon and for an hour on Saturdays. There is a little sparkly lit-up rainbow, a weird throne chair that does not match, shimmery curtains and colorful set pieces, and there is the costume, his thin red mask around his eyes outlined in yellow, his red cape that has too much fabric, his blue unitard with a yellow shirt underneath adorned with a lowercase red T. After singing his own version of the ABTs, he makes his way to another part of the set to learn about that day's special word from a tan-necked, brown-headed creature that kind of looks like a turkey and the hand from Hamburger Helper had a puppet baby. His name is Kolak, and in his alien language, he tells T that the word of the day is hot. And that was the ugliest puppet I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) Yeah, Kolak couldn't get an upgrade either. He had to be a furry glove on a sock. Did it have human teeth? Yeah. No, thank you. you. They went the ugly Sonic route. Now I got to get an ugly Sonic clip. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I'd love to. They'll like me for who I am. Not like last time when the internet got one look at my human teeth and burned the place down. Oh, you want me to go fast? (laughs) That's Sonic's thing. Ugly Sonic goes slow, <laughs> Looking behind the cameras, we see that Dorothy in a red with splotches of other colors blouse and white varsity-inspired sweater was in fact given the job of consultant. In a weird moment of, we're showing a lot of a kid's show, but we want it to be funny for Golden Girls fans, T then walks us through the meaning of hot, giving two examples that are the same, coffee and a stove, before showing photos of Miss Angie Dickinson and saying, inappropriately, that she is hot. Apparently, the photo had been placed there by his creepo stage manager. Before T can move on to the next segment, there's a crash, which somehow is his signal for having a visitor. Opening the door, revealing a mailman, T announces, it's Mr. Policeman, disguised as a mailman. Clearly upset, T cuts to a cartoon before laying into Freddy, his co-star, his co-star of 16 years. And apparently this daily schedule, and one hour on Saturday, is done without rehearsals or even a script or costume check. It's pure chaos. After laying into his employee about the schedule of what day he's to play what character, the men separate and T walks back over to bitch at Kolak about it. Not the puppeteer, the actual puppet who perhaps agrees with him, but in his nonsense language. Playing Freddy, who will never get his own series, is Jim Hudson, whose acting career garnered 36 credits, appearing in Full House, Wings, Joe vs. the Volcano, Die Hard 2, Webster, WKRP in Cincinnati, Bosom Buddies, Cheers, Bachelor Party, Hills Street Blues, St. Elsewhere, and don't you know, la la. I also like that maybe he and Tom Hanks were buddies. You got Joe vs. the Volcano, Bachelor Party, and Bosom Buddies. Potential fun fact. Appearing at Dorothy's side is Mr. Hastings, perhaps a producer of the show. He's super appreciative of Dorothy's ideas, especially given how old she is. And instead of being a Golden Girls moment of, you can't talk to people at work like that, it's just a heartless joke. Playing Mr. Hastings, the producer, is Lonnie Price. He is a producer, singer, writer, actor, and director. He's directed things like Two Broke Girls, Desperate Housewives, One Life to Live, and Live from Lincoln Center. His acting has appeared in Muppets Take Manhattan, Law and Order, and Two Broke Girls. Scampering onto the set is Rose in an all-green dress, and she's there to check the status of the show. Dorothy's pretty blunt about it. It is not going well, but it's still better than Sophia's least favorite, 30-something. The show's coming back on the air, and we finally, well, I don't want to say get to, but more like are forced to, see Mr. T's full outfit. It isn't a yellow shirt he's wearing, but a gold bodysuit going all the way to his ankles. At his waist, a thick red belt. His tall red cowboy boots making him look more like my grandpa than a superhero. And of course, his bulge non-bulge. It's the end of the show and we get to learn more of Mr. T's backstory, which is that, like Superman, he is an alien from the planet Twilar, which is why he has the superpowers of, well, 
that's yet to be determined. So with a synthesized horn that sounds like something Mark Mothersbaugh would create for the cartoon Rugrats, Mr. T is out the door, literally, with the audience shouting out, Look, everyone, it's Mr. Terrific! Excited to go on his date with Rose, T just needs to get into a casual cape, because I guess he's planning on going out with the whole bulge situation. But that won't be happening right now, because he's being summoned, quite rudely, to go to the producer's office. A producer that has a backstory of his own, as he appeared on Mr. Terrific when he was five and peed on him, which Dorothy equates to his behavior of today. Apparently, even though she arrived late, Rose came to the studio with T. Now that he's been called to a meeting, she can just go home with Dorothy. And this moment had Coco and I talking for quite a few minutes because it didn't seem like she was waiting in the green room as if she and and T had arrived together. She just arrived late. So where did she come from? And then she has to ride with Dorothy. And then they get to the house and he's there like seconds after them. That was a short meeting. Oh, this episode. I'm starting to think now that Rose took the bus. Oh, so she gets off of work or whatever. Takes, takes the, the bus, bus to, to the, the studio. studio. It's the only logical answer, except she doesn't ever really ride the bus. It's never happened. Sophia rides the bus all the time. Rose has a car. She doesn't take the bus. Okay. This episode! Her car's in the shop. She took the bus. <laughs> Terrific. <laughs> Complimenting Rose on being so terrific, Mr. T then berates her for not wearing the special terrific lady button he had made for her. In another example of how heartless this episode is, Dorothy doesn't step in like she would on any other occasion to say, hey, this guy is controlling and maybe shouldn't be talking to you like that. Instead, she tells Rose that she's nuts for being nuts about him. This moment was also a very big moment for the people I I had asked in the Facebook group. A lot of people hated just how he spoke to her about, then where's the pen I made you? It's probably one of his more narcissistic moments. And I also feel that they didn't push that far enough. Yeah. And it was never funny. Yeah. It's not good. <laughs> none of it's it's none of it is ever funny. Everything is almost there if they went a little goofier or even a little more serious or a little more satire or a little more anything instead of this like down the line nothingness. That spoilers ends in a suicide joke. My God. <laughs> Falling for his delusion, Rose has been overwhelmed dating a superhero, but Dorothy understands because just like Superman, Stanley was faster than a speeding bullet. I am assuming that's in regards to his bedroom performance. Sitting at the kitchen table. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, did you want to say something? He f***s quick. (laughs) He's a busy guy. He's got a lot of business dealings. He's He's got a lot of fake poop to sell. Sitting at the kitchen table, Sophia, in her vertically striped house dress that would be fitting for Mr. T's set, is enjoying a cup of coffee when Blanche bursts in. This episode does not warrant an Ellen clip. She is too good for that. I believe in animal attraction. I believe in love at first sight. I believe in this, and I don't feel it with you. In a dark denim ensemble, Blanche expresses that she's been feeling so guilty the last few weeks that she can't sleep. Sophia suggests she takes down all the video equipment in her room. But it's not guilt about being a wanton slut. It's about the bed mix-up. Rose's words have been ringing in her ear. Keeping the bed was just like stealing. And now it's been almost a month. And Blanche can do a lot of damage to a bed in just three weeks. So it's not like she can return it. (laughs) Blanche is surprised to see Rose home, thinking she had another date with her Superman. That's when they explain Dorothy's recommendations in the production meeting. Sophia chimes in, hoping that one of the notes was in regards to Mr. T's figure in his costume. Even though his cape covers his backside, he still shouldn't be allowed in spandex unless his butt looks like her favorite ballerino, Mikhail Baryshnikov. The meeting must not have been that long as Mr. T has already arrived to pick up Rose, or that's what she thinks at least. As Rose tends to the door, Blanche seeks Dorothy's opinion as to what she should do about the bed. Dorothy thinks that, since her bed, I guess even being new, has more than 3,600 miles on it, which was the same length as the flight the Spirit of St. Louis took from New York to Paris, she should just keep it. 
When it comes to her bed, Blanche only knows her right from left, so she can't figure out right or wrong. Their scene ends with an awkward silence that really suits this episode. Another Ellen moment, but Mr. Terrific sure as hell does not deserve it, as he's bursting into the front door, still costumed. Even though he made it sound like he would be wearing the costume on their date, Rose is surprised he's still wearing it. Well, that's because in that meeting he attended, he was fired, so he ran out of the building to go get Rose, and then promptly blamed Dorothy for it. Explaining to Rose what happened, T says that Dorothy's list of ideas were taken to heart, so the show bagged him. Which does seem odd, like they could have just canceled his show and rebooted it with other ideas, but this episode is nothing but chaos. Chaos reigns. So we'll just have to live with it for a while. Sure, Dorothy defensively agrees she gave them ideas, but never with the plan of having tea removed. They were simple improvements, like changing the crappy lyrics to the theme song. Crappy lyrics that he wrote. Blanche isn't buying that after 22 years, his being fired is related to Dorothy. So he explains. They didn't fire him because of something he did. Rather, it was that he refused to go along with Dorothy's ideas, which the producers loved. So then they fired him. He can be mad all he wants, but Dorothy shouldn't be the target. His being fired was never the goal. She was there to improve things, to try and get him his job back. She plans on going to the studio in the morning to talk with the producers. Leaving a phone number, because I guess Rose couldn't provide it, he shares that he will be reachable at that number until showtime, which would be about 23 hours from now. As he goes to leave, Dorothy requests that, given his attire, he leaves out the back door. They don't need the neighbors to see that. Not sure if that's a fear of judgment or just protecting their neighbor's eyes, but either way. It's the next afternoon and it's showtime. Running up to Mr. Producer in her iconic fleshy boot, beige skirt, white-collared shirt with yellow blouse and brown jacket ensemble that she has worn many, many times, Dorothy is happy to tell him where Mr. Terrific is. But that's not who Producer Hastings is looking for. They're planning on using the desperate-for-his-own-show Mr. Mailman as the stand-in host for now, but he's gone MIA. Dorothy suggests they check the ladies' room, which she spotted him in before, once when he was dressed as Mrs. Nurse which is a character that he's developed in his own time. Begging, Dorothy says her ideas were merely suggestions, not something to be used to take away a man's show, dreams, livelihood. But Hastings doesn't care. This isn't just about Dorothy's ideas. This is about a changing of the times. It's almost the 90s, baby, and Mr. T is old news. Besides, his ratings are in the toilet. Finding a Bobby... Kidding, it's Mr. Policeman, who happens to look like a bobby cop, and he's being dragged on stage by Jody, who is played by Jody Price, who was a nurse in the episode Whose Face Is This Anyway? Mr. Male Police Nurse has still mixed up his days and costumes, but he's loyal and he refuses to perform if Mr. Terrific isn't there. Desperate to get T back on the air, if only to relieve some of her own guilt, Dorothy promises she knows where to find him and can have him in the studio within minutes. But Hastings has a better idea. Transitioning to a local tavern, we find Mr. T, still in his costume, sitting at the bar. A drink and avocado-colored rotary phone in front of him. Coco and I actually have that exact same phone in our living room. Fun personal fact! We like to dramatically pick up the phone <laughs> and pretend we're talking to someone to make a point sometimes. Hello? Yes, she's being mean. <laughs> Goodbye. Call 911. It really, it's purely decorative. And purely for dr- dramatics. <laughs> There's true. nothing that sounds like a phone picking up and slamming down. Yeah, a, an old best. rotary. I highly suggest someone, like, just put one in your living room. Yeah, go to Goodwill. Put it on your, yep. put it on a, we have it on a, an end table. You put it on your ottoman. And whenever something awkward happens, or even if you're like, well, I mean, we don't really fight with each other, but when it's an awkward moment of anything, it's just like, hello. <laughs> and then you'd be like, we sound crazy. And we'd be like, I can't talk to you right now. I'm on the phone. <laughs> I'm busy. Yeah, if if the person on the phone is talked to by the other, they're like, wait, I can't talk to you right now. It's pretty fun. It's very fun. And to sound even more nutso, that has now bled into our everyday life. So every time one of us hands the other person something, 
it becomes a telephone. <laughs> Any, every item. Remote control, actual cell phone, piece of mail. Sandwich. <laughs> Sandwich. Glass of water. Hello. <laughs> and it, it's funny every time. So us, we're only telling you guys this because uh, you should try it. It's just really funny. You know, in your own house, no one can see what you do. Yeah. Does this mean that when T left his number saying he'd be reachable there up until showtime the following day, that he was sitting at this bar for nearly 24 hours? I mean, Dorothy did say she'd be going to the studio in the morning, so I guess we can say he didn't go there till the morning, but still, why didn't he just stay home? This episode, so much chaos. Chaos reigns. Tracking her man down in all lavender, Rose finds T and attempts to comfort him, but he might be past comforting. The show is about to start, and he didn't get a call. Dorothy obviously couldn't fix what he perceives as her mistake. Learning more about T's backstory, we have to hear that how, as a weekend weatherman, he decided to use a blanket as a cape, and boom, Mr. Terrific was born. And then, using an argyle sock, he created Colac, the Scottish puppet. Wow, super impressive, guy. The show has been his baby. He was set to be on the level of beloved children's show host Captain Kangaroo. His sidekick of Mr. Green Jeans even sent Mr. T a letter. Unable to see that that was then and this is now, T isn't giving up. He wants a better ending. Well, he wants no ending at all. Looking over at the television that was already on in the bar and on the channel showing Mr. Terrific every afternoon and for an hour on Saturday... Rose and T are shocked to see that that day's temporary host was Mrs. Schoolteacher being played by Dorothy. Attempting to introduce Kolak, Dorothy's perceived betrayal has her hanging on live air alone. Outraged, T storms out and Rose follows. They're going to the studio. That's when patron John Weller, who had 74 credits to his name, including Beverly Hills 90210, Step by Step, ER, Life Goes On, Hotel, Dukes of Hazard, Dallas, The Apple Dumpling Gang Rides Again, Rhoda, Rockford Files, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, Mannix, Green Acres, Bonanza, and La Heat, asks about who the wacko was that had just been in the bar. Bartender Ralph Marrow, an extra extra who has been in The Mentalist, Pushing Daisies, Knott's Landing, Jake and the Fat Man, Harry and the Hendersons, Melrose Place, Cheers, Murder, She Wrote, Cagney and Lacey, Desperate Housewives, Perfect Strangers, Seinfeld, Caroline in the City, Hill Street Blues, TJ Hooker, Charles in Charge, Full House, Saved by the Bell, Night Court, and The Greatest American Hero, makes a little joke about Rose, saying he doesn't know who the wacko is because Mr. T usually comes in alone. Ah! I'm really growing concerned about how much time that Mr. T is spending at this bar. Without any television experience or even a script read-through, Dorothy is continuing to keep the show going, even teaching a lesson on eating healthy, when Kolak suggests she take her own advice. Yeesh. Playing off the puppet, delighted to learn he can speak English, he snaps back that what she doesn't know could fill 212 square miles, or the size of Guam. Playing Kolak is the crappy contractor from Rose's Big Adventure, Ernie, a.k.a. Dan Woodard. Making a flawless transition, Dorothy uses the mentioning of Guam to move on to geography, inciting Kolak to show her some geography. Now, there is a debate online as to if this is him mooning or flashing her, as one respondent said, his pee-pee. I think, given the amount of time and hands available, that maybe he just used his free hand to grope his Florida, if you know what I mean. Coco, what's your theory? I wasn't listening. <laughs> oh, you think he's sort of uh, smacking the grapes around? Well, I think he's like, I think he's... Honk, honk? I think he's honk. I think he's holding it in his hand through his pants. Definitely. In a real, you know, kind of like a New York... Yeah, so you think he's just going for a... Grab-a-ghoul. A grab-a-ghoul. Obviously. With a sexually explicit puppet attacking her, Dorothy panics and grabs his mouth. But that furry mouth isn't the one talking. So she looks to her stage team for support, but only gets shrugs in return. Kolak suggests she tells everyone about how it's her fault Mr. T is fired. Instead, she cuts to a cartoon and begs Hastings for help. But what can he do about his aggressive actors and rude employees? 
Before Dorothy can quit the show, Rose has arrived and she's as mad as Mr. Terrific, immediately blaming her for his firing and pissed that she took over hosting. So help me out, you tubing burbles! Dorothy begs for her understanding, explaining how it all just happened so quickly. Rose seems to get it, but she knows T needs to hear this, not her. And Dorothy would be happy to explain herself to him, but he's nowhere to be found. That is until Jody comes running in, yelling that Mr. Terrific is on the building's ledge and it looks like he's contemplating taking his life. With everyone running outside to check on him, Hastings is left with only Mr. Stage Manager as a host. Counting himself in, Ron Capra, who appeared in Angelion, Hail to the Chief, Benson, Trapper John M.D., and MASH, takes over. Getting to the top of the very high building the studio's located, Dorothy sticks her head out of the window to find Mr. T on the ledge, claiming he's feeling terrific but needs to be outside so he can fly. When Rose catches up, Dorothy warns her that former Manson family member and woman who held an unloaded gun towards President Ford, which was then seen as and sentenced as an attempted assassination, Squeaky Frome, had a better grip on reality. Going to the other window, Rose checks in with her man, with a meek, Honey? She asks for him to come inside, but gets distracted by his pointing out her house's location. Getting back to trying to get him off the ledge, Rose expresses her concern for him and that they want him to be safe. He assures her he's not going to hurt himself. He's just going to jump from the ledge and fly. Dorothy plays along, agreeing that, yes, he can fly. Playing into his superhero persona, she says that Superman's arch-nemesis Lex Luthor and Batman's Joker are inside, and he needs to come help via his x-ray vision. Leaning out further, Rose yells across to Dorothy that Mr. T doesn't have x-ray vision, not catching on that she's just trying to play into his delusion, and this isn't the time to get into his shortcomings. Ah! Dorothy continues to plead. She didn't want his job. She didn't want for him to get fired. She didn't want any of this. She just needed a summer job. For T, this isn't about getting his job back. He has to prove his worth as a hero. Yelling down to the gathering crowds, he introduces himself, shouting down, It's me, Mr. Terrific, which is met with the response of, Jump, jump, jump. Damn, nobody likes this guy. Even though she's an experienced grief counselor and claims to have gone through psychology training back home, Rose climbs onto the ledge with T. That isn't comforting to Dorothy. In St. Olaf, they think Freud is a way of cooking a chicken, one of the only redeeming lines of this episode. With Rose by his side, T still feels like he can fly. Well then, she says, if you're going to fly, you'll have to do it with me in your arms, which he still agrees to. This is dumb even for Rose. This is nonsensical even for Rose. This is in total contradiction for what she would know because of her job, even for Rose. But there she goes, climbing into his arms. And then he steps off the ledge. Dorothy is terrified for a moment, but Mr. Terrific does in fact fly. Well, maybe he doesn't fly. Because when we get a close-up of Rose swinging in the air, Mr. T has been replaced with an elderly stuntman a man with a completely different face that they didn't even try to hide. Was this due to the actor not being comfortable being harnessed with Betty White and carrying her little body for a few swings? It is so weird. He should have gone for that stunt pay. Coco is a big fan of stunt people and, and cool stunts in movies and TV. Could you share your thoughts? Worst stunt, worst framing, worst hiding of the stuntman's face, barely a stunt. They didn't need to zoom in on Rose's face at all. If they had stayed far away, we probably wouldn't have noticed. It's just so it terrible. It's so bad. It's it's really bad. It's a bad episode of TV. They're not they're not acting like themselves. He's awful. And they had a mask. They knew that the end was that. And they probably knew, oh, we'll have a stunt guy. Why didn't they make a mask that had more coverage so that when they got to that point, it wouldn't be all you could see? So many questions. And really, for me, why they picked him yeah. makes no sense to me. Yeah. They've had guys that looked more like, uh, well, would look better in a superhero outfit. Yeah. Not to body shame that skinny no, old man. No, but just kind of that traditional. Barrel-chested, sort yeah. of like 
whoever the first George Reeve, mm-hmm. who was the original TV Superman, was uh, kind of thick. Makes me wonder, like, does it go back to was this written as a cathartic expression of how annoying it is to work on those like lower, you know, not as well known shows or lower budgeted shows or local shows or like a, or a show for children. Yeah. That, all that, that stuff where it's much, just like yeah. some schmuck that is so certain he's got the thing and he doesn't. And maybe that's the point. I don't know. That's the thing, too. That's why it's so frustrating because everything is what is the point? Yeah, I feel often there's a way for you to wrap these up with some sort of theme. Yeah. <laughs> and this isn't, there isn't one. Not so much. Well, I guess it would be that he, well, it, what he, what was he crying out for, is he crying out for help? Or is he a jerk who would do a stunt like that? Oh, I guess he's a jerk who would I do don't a think stunt there's like any that. help because he doesn't need help because he's super and amazing and perfect and. You're lucky to be on his show. You're lucky to work with him. You're lucky to date him. He'll make you a button. Everything is like how lucky you are. Make you wear that button. Yeah. So there's no cry for help because what does he need help with? He's perfect and amazing. As long as he can keep. Total control of everything in his life. And keep the show going. Wow. Yeah. He sucks is what we're saying. So apparently when they got to the studio, Mr. Terrific ran to the roof and was trained in hooking up a harness device. He set it up, strapped himself in, and made it to the ledge before the girls found him. Then, instead of telling them that he was safe, secure, and this was just a PR stunt, he let everyone think that he was having a mental health crisis and might actually die and even allowed Rose to think that she was risking her own life by joining him. This guy sucks so much. Rose happily swings through the air, and later that night, at the house, everyone is just cool with him having pulled this crap. While he explains that the cables and cords were all used to keep him safe, they can't help but point out that Rose had no protection at all, which he seemed totally fine with. And when Rose explains that it would have gone against T's super code if he had dropped her, he kind of makes a surprised face like, what? That's not in my code. I just got lucky that I didn't drop you. The nasty stunt actually earned the nasty stunt actually earned T his job back, which also sucks. He should be super fired for using suicidal ideation to get attention. But, you know, chaos. Every afternoon and for one hour on Saturdays. Chaos reigns. To celebrate, his buddy is coming by as a mailman or perhaps nurse. It must be fairly late at night as Blanche has joined them because she's struggling to sleep. In her classic black-and-white nightgown and robe, she feels like a common criminal with her bed-stealing shenanigans. Dorothy thinks she's being ridiculous, but when Blanche answers the door to find a police officer on the other side, it's her worst nightmare. A cop. She doesn't know it's Mr. Mailman from the show, so she demands that her crime spree come to an end with him cuffing her and following her into the bedroom. Without hesitation, he does so. Apparently, his inability to keep his days and costumes straight has paid off, as he was supposed to be dressed as the mailman that day. And that joke could be the entire reason we have to hear about his inability to remember days and the whole plot with Blanche and the bed. Coco, you grew up in the heart of television, Burbank, California. Were you ever on a children's show? Did you ever go to a taping of a children's show? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, thank you. I was a very shy, shy boy. quiet, and reserved child, and I would have, that would have been my first taste of hell. <laughs> Did you ever watch any kid shows, like, you know, kiddie shows like that? Pee-wee's, Pee-wee's Playhouse? Oh, yeah. Um, when I was little, I definitely watched, uh, like, uh, Sesame Street and what was the other reading one? Reading Rainbow. Yeah, I loved Reading Rainbow, and I feel like there was another one. Something Connection, Electric. Oh, company, Electric Connection. Maybe yeah. the Electric Company, right? Yep, that's it. Or whatever it was called. Yeah, I watched that too. Yeah, and Fraggle Rock. I watched. I watched a lot of that stuff, but I no thank you. What was that? The question. <laughs> You'll be shocked to know that I loved our local program on KPTV called Ramblin' Rod. It was on for many years. I I don't know how many decades. And it was very much like Mr. Terrific. He had a huge vest, a big brown vest, like not fluffy or anything. And he covered it in buttons. 
And then as the show went on, every kid would bring him a button as a gift and then he would add it to the vest. So he had this like 50 pound vest on. Uh, it was, you know, he'd have a moment with the kids and then cut to a cartoon. And well, he came in on a little tugboat, like a little prop thing, almost like the one on Price is Right, the little boat they have. <laughs> so he'd pull in on that and then he'd, you know, start the show and then they would do a smile contest where the camera would pan across every kid and they would pick like the two winners. I did get to win one time for best smile. I believe it. And then if you go on your birthday, which I also did, uh, I don't remember what year it was, you got to go stand by the boat and he gave you a happy birthday button and then everyone sang happy birthday to you and it was thrilling. That's a good birthday. And now it's time for the round of matcha. Well, howdy doody, everybody. Come on in and welcome again to the Ramblin' Rod Show. Were you there? Yeah. Anyway, it was a lot of fun. And I've I liked it. Every person I've met in Oregon, I've lived here for almost 16 years now, I think. Every single person that's like my age loves Rambling Rod. Uh, or Ramblin'. Ramblin' sorry. Loves <laughs> Ramblin'. Sorry, from the I'm from the big city. <laughs> They love Ramblin' Rod. They all talk about like being on it. I feel like most people I know were like on it or in, obsessed with it when they were little. It's really funny. It's your first taste of Hollywood. Yeah, well, oh my gosh, going into that, I can pick. I don't remember much from my childhood, but walking into that studio and the bright, it was all dark at the back, and then the bright lights on the set, and you got to sit there and just stare down a camera. And then under the camera was this teeny tiny television, and it showed the cartoons so that it would keep us busy while we were waiting. We, oh, could, that's, oh. we could watch along with it while it was going. I enjoyed staring at that camera to no one's surprise. <laughs> <laughs> She's a ham. <laughs> oink, oink. Honey baked. <laughs> well, we did it. We got through the episode. Is everyone doing okay? Are you sitting down? Do you need some water? Part of what's missing from this episode is the heart. Where is the lesson? Where is the love? Where's the anything that feels like the girl's? So perhaps we can walk away with a reminder to be our most authentic selves. Mr. Terrific was doing his own thing and it got him his dream job for over 20 years. None of the girls are behaving as we would expect and it's a bummer. So whenever we aren't sure of the path to take, let's remember to take the one that feels genuine to who we are. Otherwise, things won't be very terrific. As always, thank you for listening and thank you for being a friend. Be sure to join us next week for the season finale with Mother's Day. This is Brian. Brian, where do you live? I don't know. I am too hot. You are a little hot. Hot, hot, hot. That's too like hot. Angie Dickinson. Hello. Black Parade? Who's that? Um... Is that my chemical romance? Yes, it is. I don't know that. <laughs> I think you uh, want to say money. <laughs> For the same money she spent on her first home. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't, don't, don't. <laughs> no, you got to do that normal. <laughs> That's a deep cut. It Locals is. only. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> CBS watchers from <laughs> 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. only. You mean to 11 p.m. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> on on Big Brother days, we watched like four to five hours of CBS, maybe six. <laughs> it happens so Oh, my quick. God. If I got up at 7 a.m., yeah, I would watch it from 7 to 11 and then. Maybe 8, eight to 11. Eight if it's to Big 11, Brother and then, a... then the challenge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot. And I just take a break to pay, to play my people puzzler over on the game show network. And go through our TV guide, <laughs> of which we have a subscription. I don't paper. think it counts. <laughs> I don't think it counts as aging when COVID forced it. We didn't, we didn't putter out running out of gas. We've just adapted. And CBS has some top quality programming for people with... Between one and all gray pubes. <laughs> it depends on where I bought it. From It depends on... <clears throat> Let me take that normal sentence again. <laughs> Just a thing I would say normally. <laughs>
he's like Mr. Evil Dangerous. Mr. Evil? Doctor. He didn't go to seven years of medical school to be called Mr. That's why I said that. How dare you? <laughs> I'm sorry. It's finally not 100 degrees and it rained a little. I'm feeling goofy. Yuck. She's realized the high-end department store where she did her shopping, Neiman Marcus, did a big myth. The men separate and T walks back over to the bitch. Oh, to the bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Hill Street Blues and St. Elsewhere together make my brain hurt. He's directed things like Two Broke Girls, Desperate Housewives, One Life. Uh, Housewives. Oh, what'd I say? Lives. Apparently, even though she came in late, Rose rode to the... Rose what? Whoa. Uh, uh. Rose rode to the studio. Is that okay to say? Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Well, it feels real good. Finding a Bob... Finding a Bobby. A drink and avocado... A drink and avocado... <laughs> and it always... And it diffuses everything always. Not... I mean, we don't ever argue but you keep saying that like we do i'm like i don't know what to have for dinner i'm sorry i can't think and you'll be like hello she's yelling at me about (laughs) about what we should have for dinner i know hello yeah i think i don't want chinese food i think she's gonna break up with me (laughs) call the police hill street blues tj hooker the char the charles in charge we call it the cod piece juggle just shake in general? Them. Not at anybody. <laughs> just it's fun to grab your genitals and shake them or squeeze them or whatever you got. <laughs> You're mine. I own you. <laughs> Slap you. <laughs> I read it the first time because my chin hit the microphone. Can you even believe it? I believe they call that an anecdote. <laughs> <laughs> is that what that is? It was a... Well... Goodbye. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even know what to say about it. It's. That is so good. Always Be My Sisters is written, hosted, and created by Alicia Holland. Produced and edited by Josh McCullough. Always Be My Sisters is a Cascade Media production. You'll always be my sisters.